Welcome to You News, the podcast, using the power of Univision to bring the news that matters to you in English. Today is Thursday, August 5th. I'm Carolina Sarasa, and these are today's headlines. The White House and other government agencies getting ready to enforce new vaccine mandates for those who travel to the U.S. Concerning new COVID numbers out of Florida, more than 11,500 residents now currently in hospital care, all this as the Delta variant continues to spread. And California is burning. The state is facing its worst fire season on record as dry conditions and high winds are making the Dixie Fire even stronger. This and much more today on U News, transmitting live from our newsroom in Miami. We begin with the pandemic. Every day, more and more people are deciding to get the vaccine. Just in the past 24 hours, more than 860,000 people receiving their first shot. It is the highest number since July 3rd. All this as families are debating whether to send their children back to school. Lorraine Casares has the latest. Vaccine maker Moderna announcing today that its coronavirus vaccine is 93% effective six months after full vaccination, advising boosters may be needed to top off immunity into the fall as the Delta variant continues to spread. Dr. Anthony Fauci warning we'll likely see a variant worse than Delta in the future. When you give an ample opportunity to mutate, you may sooner or later get another variant. And it is possible that that variant might be in some respects worse than the already very difficult variant we're dealing with now, which is a major reason why you want to completely suppress the circulation of the virus in the community. Currently, the FDA and the CDC have no recommendation for booster shots. U.S. health officials maintaining there is no data to indicate the need for them just yet, warning people not to take matters into their own hands. This, as the WHO calls for a moratorium on boosters until at least the end of September to enable at least 10% of the population of every country to be vaccinated. I understand the concern of all governments to protect their people from the Delta variant. But we cannot and we should not accept countries that have already used most of the global supply of vaccines, using even more of it, while the world's most vulnerable people remain unprotected. Meanwhile, in the U.S., the great debate over mask requirements continues. The most heated part of the debate is over masking up in schools. Arkansas's governor now regretting banning mask mandates after one school district reported 700 students and staff in quarantine just two weeks into the school year. In hindsight, I wish uh, that had not become law. He signed the law in April, and since then, infections in his state have grown exponentially. Our children! Our in Colorado, hundreds of parents protesting a mask mandate in schools. In Illinois, the governor announcing that in his state, they are now required. Effective immediately, all P-12 schools and daycares in Illinois must follow the CDC guidance of universal masking inside, regardless of vaccine status. This as in Florida, counties moved to defy the governor, implementing masks in schools despite his mandate prohibiting them. 
And right now we're seeing more than 40,000 people hospitalized for COVID-19 nationwide. The CDC is forecasting that that number could triple by the end of August. Meanwhile, Dr. Anthony Fauci is saying we could very soon hit the 200,000 cases of COVID-19 a day. And Moderna is saying that they're planning to uh, very soon, by the end of this month, apply for full approval of their vaccine. Carolina, back to you. Thank you, Lorraine, for that live report. Meanwhile, almost 72,000 children and teenagers tested positive for COVID-19 last week. It's a significant increase compared to the previous week. From mid-July to the end of the month, cases more than tripled, going from about 23,000 to 72,000 in just two weeks. And to understand more, we are joined by Dr. Yvonne Maldonado. She's a professor of pediatrics at Stanford University School of Medicine. Thank you so much for your time, doctor. Thank you for uh, inviting me. Doctor, after a decrease in the number of cases over the last couple of months, we're now seeing this rise. What happened? Well, the Delta variant happened to us. That is um, really the basic issue. And we are still seeing a lot of unvaccinated people. This particular virus is uh, twice as infectious as the original virus was. And just to give you another data point, we have seen over 130,000 plus new cases just in the single day, that is yesterday. That is the highest number of cases since the beginning of the November surge. And that is in the face of many people being vaccinated. So this virus is extremely transmissible and more and more people will have the opportunity to be infected, especially if they are unvaccinated. And doctor, out of those cases, new cases in children, how many of those have pre-existing conditions and how many are ending up in the hospital? Yeah, so of those number of cases, as you saw, we are seeing overall since the beginning of the pandemic about over 4 million children who have been diagnosed with disease with tens of thousands hospitalized and hundreds who have died. Of those, about half have underlying conditions. So that's critical to know, but that also means that just about half were previously completely healthy. So it's very difficult to predict who's gonna get severely ill and hospitalize and even die from this disease. Now, the American Academy of Pediatrics has recommended indoor masking for children in schools, but we're seeing governors in Florida and Texas even issuing bans of mandatory masking. What's your reaction as a doctor to all of this? Well, I was part of the group that made that guidance for the American Academy of Pediatrics. We have to follow the science we have to follow the clinical course of this virus. And we thought that it was really important to make sure that everybody was masked inside buildings, especially schools, because children under 12 cannot be vaccinated. And that is the safest way uh, to protect them from the virus at this time. It's also not a major issue. Most children over two, the vast majority can easily wear a mask. There is not a problem with it. Uh, medically um, or psychologically. It's really simple and it saves lives. So we just thought that was the right thing to do. And if political uh, will uh, will, res will not respect medical science, then uh, individual school districts need to make sure that they do the right thing, parents as well. Now, how about having a mixed classroom? 
or some children are having to wear a mask and others are not. Is that capable of working? Can that work? Well, that was not our recommendation, as you know, but it's also operationally very difficult. How do you actually track who needs a vaccine and who doesn't? Who needs, I'm sorry, who needs a mask and who doesn't? I just don't think schools should be the mask police. They should just say, everybody do one thing. It's that's the easiest thing to do rather than having to track every single day who wore the mask properly, who didn't. Um, it, we just didn't think it was going to make uh, the day easier, given that everybody is struggling just to get back to school in a reasonable way. Well, thank you so much for your time today, Dr. Yvonne Maldonado, Professor of Pediatrics at Stanford University School of Medicine. Now, in the meantime, the Biden administration is working on a plan to mandate vaccinations in the military and for nearly all people coming to the U.S. Edwin Pitti has the details from Washington, D.C. Edwin, what do we know so far? That's right, Carolina. The Biden administration is creating a plan that mandates vaccinations for nearly all foreign visitors to the U.S. That's according to a White House official who adds that some exceptions will be made. Work on this plan is in the early stages and an official announcement is not expected soon. But so far, there haven't been any changes to the current travel restrictions due to the Delta variant of COVID-19. The White House wants to reopen travel, which would boost business for all airlines and tourism industry. But the current administration is not ready to immediately lift restrictions because of the rising of COVID-19 caseload. Right now, Biden has interagency groups working to have a new system ready for when travel can reopen. And that also includes a phased approach that over time will mean that all of those coming to the U.S. will need to be fully vaccinated. As of now, the White House has held discussions with airlines and others about how it would implement a policy of requiring vaccines for foreign visitors, and they have not answered questions about whether they would require visitors from Mexico and Canada to be vaccinated. But the White House wants to go above and beyond. After announcing that all federal employees and contractors are required to get the vaccine or comply with constant testing, the Department of Defense is expected now to seek authorization to make COVID-19 vaccines mandatory to all active duty troops. Let's listen. Uh, quite frankly, I'm inclined to, uh, uh, to, to move towards uh, uh, making sure that everybody is, is properly protected. This is an issue of risk and, and, uh, and readiness for, for the services. And, uh, you know, we're going to make sure that, you know, the health of the force is very, very important. I mean, we're going to make sure we take care of our troops. Uh, we're going to do it in the right way. If the secretary makes that final recommendation, he could seek a presidential waiver to allow the vaccine to be administered to troops before receiving the full approval by the FDA. According to the CDC, the Delta variant is responsible for more than 90% of positive cases in the U.S. right now. In Washington, D.C., Back to you, Caro. And thank you for that information. Live from Washington, D.C., Edwin Pitin. And on Capitol Hill, more than a dozen House Democrats want their colleagues to get vaccinated or receive regular COVID testing. 19 Democratic lawmakers sent a letter to the attending physician of Congress asking for a vaccine requirement or at least require those whose vaccination status is unclear 
to go bi-weekly testing. The letter points out that the staff at the U.S. Capitol face an elevated risk of COVID-19. All of the Democrats in Congress are vaccinated, but 97 House Republicans have not confirmed whether they have received the vaccine. And as of this week, some cities will require vaccine proof to get out to eat, to go to the movies or to the gym. Now, many are wondering about the best way to carry around this information. Peggy Carranza has some answers. Proving your vaccination status seems to be increasingly necessary to eat out or enjoy indoor activities, so carrying that information with you will be vital. Some experts recommend keeping a photo of your vaccination card on your phone because it is easy to carry around and to access. It's easier to remember um, that you have your vaccination card in your phone than the to bring an, another ID to your wallet. They also suggest downloading an official digital health record, such as the Common Pass or Excelsior Pass in New York. It's 100% verified and can help if you lose your physical card. A possible disadvantage is in their differing approach to security. If you're really, really scared or you're really concerned of the privacy on your phone, I think you should start with deleting geolocation services like Google, Facebook apps, uh, Instagram apps, and everything else. Another recommendation is storing your scan immunization card in applications like Clear, VaxYes, and airside because they allow you to save digital vaccine cards for free, but acceptance still depends on each destination. Experts say this technology is evolving, so if you're headed to a super important event, you might still want to carry that physical card with you. In New York City, Peggy Carranza, U News. And turning to the economy, initial claims for unemployment insurance are lower last week, while longer-term unemployment signs are showing improvement. That's according to a Labor Department report released just this morning. First-time filings for benefits dipped to 385,000 for the week ending July 31st, a decline of 14,000 from the previous week. And with a new eviction moratorium now in place for some parts of the country, a group of landlords and real estate companies are suing over that same ban. The moratorium still covers some 80% of all U.S. counties. Attorneys for the plaintiffs filed an emergency application Wednesday night calling the policy unlawful. On Tuesday, even President Biden admitted that it might not hold up in court. He says the idea is to delay evictions until people behind on rent can receive help. The Supreme Court upheld the CDC's original eviction moratorium, but Justice Brett Kavanaugh said Congress would have to act to extend it. And now to one of the most well-known governors in the nation, facing very serious allegations and fallout. A report by the New York Attorney General's Office providing details on several sexual harassment claims is now prompting inquiries by prosecutors. This has calls grow for the governor to step down, and the Linares has the latest. Hey, 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 hey. 
calls intensifying for New York Governor Andrew Cuomo to resign as lawmakers weigh impeachment. Do the right thing. Resign. Now four separate prosecutors across the state launching criminal probes after a blistering report found he sexually harassed 11 women. The prosecutors requesting evidence from the New York Attorney General as they examine potential crimes. Investigators interviewed 179 people over five months, including Cuomo himself. They reviewed more than 74,000 pieces of evidence, including documents. Emails, texts, audio files, and pictures. One piece of evidence, this selfie, reportedly taken at the governor's request moments after he allegedly groped an executive assistant. The governor hugged executive assistant number one and reached under her blouse to grab her breast. There were also several occasions on which the governor grabbed her butt. The report also detailing new allegations from a state trooper who describes a series of flirtatious and creepy encounters with the governor. She's a former member of the governor's security detail. She was standing holding the door open for the governor. As he passed, he took his open hand and ran it across her stomach from her belly button to where she, the hip where she keeps her gun. But Cuomo denies ever touching anyone inappropriately. I want you to know directly from me that I never touched anyone inappropriately or made inappropriate sexual advances. The governor laying low Wednesday, releasing a COVID update, but no further comments on the report. For now, the impeachment inquiry is shifting into high gear. At this point, you know, I don't expect the best out of, of this governor. That's why I'm calling on all of us to use that power um, and actually get this man out of office. Articles of impeachment could be referred to the New York State Assembly by the Judiciary Committee as soon as next week. It would take 76 votes in order to impeach Governor Cuomo. As of today, at least 82 members say they would vote yes. If he is impeached, he would have to step down until the trial is over. In Miami, Florida, Andrea Linares, U News. Thank you, Andrea, for that report. And also making headlines today, former President Trump wants to permanently block the Treasury Department from turning over his tax returns to Congress. His lawyers have formally filed the request in federal courts. This comes after the Justice Department said last week the Internal Revenue Service had to hand over his tax returns. A judge is still considering that decision. In California, a huge wildfire has burned homes and forced thousands of people to evacuate. The fire is so strong, the flames are even visible from Spain. The river fire was less than 100 miles south of the still massive Dixie Fire, which according to Cal Fire has consumed 278,000 acres and was only 35% contained. This as the state of California is on track for its worst fire season on record. And more trouble for the Golden State, California's Lake Oroville. The second largest reservoir in the state has seen its water levels 
fall to the lowest level so far. On Wednesday, the lake dropped so much, even passing the all-time low that was set in 1977. This comes one day after state water regulators voted in favor of an emergency order that limits water access for thousands of area farmers. Nearly half of California is in what's been called an exceptional drought. And last month was one of the hottest Julys on record, with unusually high temperatures seen in regions from Finland to the U.S. That's according to the EU's Climate Change Service. It is the latest milestone in a long-term warming trend that saw the last seven years rank as the world's hottest on record, as emissions of greenhouse gases change the planet's climate. Meanwhile, the hurricane season got off to a record-setting start this year, and experts say it shows no signs of slowing down. We have already had five named storms, and Hurricane Elsa was the earliest fifth named storm ever. According to the latest outlook from NOAA, 15 to 21 named storms are expected over the course of the next few months, including the five we have already had. The hurricane season ends on November 30th. More of your news after this short break. Imagine a daily newscast that speaks to you about your world in plain English. Each weekday, we partner with Hispanic America's most trusted news source to bring you the stories from home and abroad that matter to you. That would essentially put an end to the longest war in U.S. history. This is the interior of a stash house that we found in this right along today. State authorities recommend avoiding them at night. You News covers the news of your world and makes it easy to understand. Your world, your news. You News on Fusion. Welcome back to U News. And at least 10 people were killed in Encino, Texas on Wednesday when a van carrying nearly 30 people crashed. More than a dozen more were injured, some in critical condition. According to the Texas Department of Public Safety, the van was traveling at a high rate of speed when the driver tried to take a turn, but the van flipped and crashed into a utility pole. The Brooks County Sheriff's Office said most of the passengers were undocumented immigrants. Investigators are working with the Mexican consulate to identify those who were inside that van. U.S. Customs and Border Protection agents have started using body cameras saying the cameras will be deployed in phases. CBP's effort to use the technology began in 2014 after an Obama-era review of the agency's use of force incidents. The rollout of cameras will start along the nation's southern and northern borders, followed by some ports of entry. The agency expects to deploy about 6,000 cameras by the end of this year. Meanwhile, a temporary emergency shelter is going up in McAllen, Texas, for migrants taken there by U.S. Customs and Border Protection. It comes after overcrowding a nearby Catholic Church facility and the mayor's Monday declarations of local disaster. Up to 1,900 Migrants are being processed in McAllen. City officials also want the federal government to offer more relief to help with the large number of migrants crossing the border. 
And this comes in the wake of the White House making a major announcement about vaccination efforts for thousands of people that continue to make that dangerous journey into the border. Jorge Hernandez has those details. Migrants released by U.S. Border Patrol in Brownsville, Texas, have the opportunity to receive coronavirus vaccines at a bus station that authorities have turned into a vaccination point. Supporting vaccinations in our community and, of course, for migrants, it is very important because the more people we vaccinate, the less the risk of COVID-19 in Brownsville. Nicaragua national Lucy Castro crossed the border and feels lucky to be released. She took the opportunity to get vaccinated. I thought it was going to be more difficult to get the vaccination here, but thank God we got the vaccine. I protect myself and protect my family. My family is where I go. However, some people were afraid and didn't want to get vaccinated. I heard you get vaccinated and die seven years later. Because of the symptoms from the vaccine, one gets tired and stressed. Press reports indicate that the Biden administration is working on a plan to vaccinate all migrants who are released from U.S. immigration custody and those who are to be deported. However, the Department of Homeland Security told Univision News that at this time there is no plan for Customs and Border Protection to offer vaccination to all migrants. However, it confirmed that ICE recently began offering and administering the Johnson & Johnson vaccine to people in its custody in detention centers. Also, some migrant shelters in El Paso, Texas have been offering vaccinations to those who wish to receive them from about five weeks ago. The vaccines are donated by a nonprofit that didn't want to be identified. And while some migrants refuse immunization, the vast majority wanted to protect themselves against coronavirus. We should take advantage of the fact that the vaccine is available now. We have the chance and we have to do it for our health. Reported by Mario Eugenia Payan in El Paso, Texas. This is Jorge Hernandez, U News. Thank you, Jorge, for that reporting. To understand more about this situation, we are joined by Marisa Limon Garza. She's the deputy director of the organization Hope Border Institute in El Paso, Texas. Thank you so much for your time, Marisa. Thank you, Carolina. Marisa, the Biden administration is getting ready to offer vaccines to migrants in U.S. custody, but some migrant shelters and detention centers run by ICE have already begun that process. What do we know so far and how about those that refuse to get the vaccine? Is this mandatory? It's not mandatory at this time. And what we know is that ICE is taking an effort to make sure that vaccine access is available to people that are, are being detained. One point that we're really trying to make clear is the need for effective education in the language that people speak. So we know just like any other person that's going to get vaccinated, that they should be educated about what it means to receive the vaccine, that it should be uh, distributed in a safe manner and that is recognizing everyone's uh, dignity and that it, the information should be shared in the language people speak. So it's not enough for ICE to be sharing the information, obviously just in English, nor is it enough for it to just be in Spanish, but also in indigenous languages and other languages from around the globe where we see people currently uh, within the custody of ICE. Now, this week, the Biden administration extended the so-called Title 42 indefinitely. That's the Trump era order allowing officials to expedite the removal of migrants caught at the border. They say this is in order to prevent the spread of COVID-19. What has been your reaction to this new order? It's incredibly unfortunate. The community that I live in and work in in El Paso and Ciudad Juarez is 
preparing to receive asylum seekers since late last year in a way that is very mindful of COVID-19, that takes all the precautions and is done in a way that keeps public safety in the highest regard. And so we know how to welcome and receive people in a safe way. Uh, in our last, in your last report, you know, our migrant shelter of record has been off seen for up to five weeks at this point, the people that we're seeing are not actually always um, having the same risk of COVID as one might think. And if anything, some of our policies are creating COVID hotspots. So we have people that are being flown from different parts of the border all across the southern area of the United States, and they are not tested. Border Patrol does not test people for COVID. And so we have no idea of knowing. So we have to assume that everyone is COVID positive and so people are COVID tested. And then of course they're offered a vaccine. So the, the end to title 42 will overdue resource. We have the capacity and we have the testing and the vaccines that are needed to combat. And title 42 should no longer be an excuse to shut off uh, asylum at the southern border. And now let's talk about numbers. More than 176,000 migrants were apprehended at the border in July alone. That's the highest number in the past 20 years. It is an unusually high number, especially during the summer months. What is going on and what should the Biden administration do to stop it? So we have a confluence of events happening right now at the southern border. We have this policy of Title 42, where it's almost like a revolving door. People can attempt to cross um, and have no almost repercussions by ending up going back. And so people will make multiple attempts. The reality is that people in stuck in northern Mexico that are migrants are incredibly vulnerable to violence, to extortion, to robbery, to all kinds of harms, assaults, attacks, and even to death. And so they will go to make sure that they try to get to safety, which for them means the United States. And so some of those numbers are people, they're not unique uh, to each individual. There can be represented a person who's tried to cross six times. We also know that Central America and other parts of the globe are all reeling from the global pandemic and the impact it has on health infrastructures as well as economies. And then of course, we know what the drivers of migration are from places like Central America, whether it be the hurricanes in Honduras, whether it be extreme poverty, drought in Guatemala, corruption and violence, all of these things contribute to, to the reality that we have right now. And so this is what's causing the large numbers. It's unfortunate, incredibly unfortunate that in these desperately hot summer months, we're seeing more and more people attempting this dangerous journey. But until we reopen our asylum process, which is internationally recognized law, then we are gonna continue to see this. Well, thank you so much for your time today, Marisa Limon Garza of the Whole Border Institute in El Paso, Texas. Great talking to you today. Thank you. And now to Mexico and a story we first told you about yesterday, that nation suing U.S. gun makers because of the many weapons moving across the border. Ana de Mendoza has more on this move. This is the first time in history that a country has taken legal action against U.S. arms manufacturing companies. The Mexican government filed the civil lawsuit in a federal court in Boston. That the defendant companies compensate the Mexican government for damages caused by their negligent practices. The amount of this demand will be determined at trial. It is estimated based on gun death and violence figures in Mexico that the damages amount could reach $10 billion if the lawsuit is successful. Yesterday, Mexican Foreign Minister Marcelo Ebrard said that preparing this legal strategy took two years of combing through related documentation. 
There are a dozen companies and distributors involved, among them Smith & Wesson, Barrett, Beretta, Colts and Glock. What Mexico is looking for is clear, to stop the murders in their country, that they develop and implement reasonable, verifiable standards to monitor and, if necessary, discipline their distributors, because the companies know this. The lawsuit does not violate the Second Amendment of the United States. Because the damages occur in Mexico, according to official estimates, 70 percent of the weapons coming into this country are from the U.S., and criminal groups show off that weaponry to intimidate the population. This week, the shootings in Michoacán did not stop. In Zacatecas, there were about 20 gun-related deaths. That's why this lawyer believes that the lawsuit, even if it isn't successful, will have consequences. Esto cuando menos. At the very least, this will motivate these companies to strengthen their compliance schemes. That is to say, to rethink security systems to prevent these weapons from continuing to arrive in Mexico in the future. Reported by Jessica Cermeño in Mexico City. Ana de Mendoza, U News. Thanks for listening to U News, the podcast. Don't forget to follow U News on Instagram, Twitter, and Facebook. And if you haven't yet, go to Apple Podcasts and subscribe, rate, and review. And join us tomorrow for a new episode. Until then.